Third time's a charm. Three is a magic number. The third time's a charm. 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 Hello and welcome to Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 63, Sharknado. Oh, hell no. From 2015. And I'm your host, Mike the Weatherman, I guess. And get ready for some summer shark action today on this here show. Joining me are my two co-hosts from two other shows. First up is the Invisible Dan Cologne, who is my co-host over at The Monsters That Made Us, a show about the Universal Monster movies. And I needed him here for a very specific reason today. My other guest is Brian Rodriguez, my unofficial co-host here, but officially my co-host over on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, a podcast about the one and only Francis Ford Coppola. I asked him here today because I thought this would be a fun, mindless movie to talk about, and since there's been a lot of shark sightings this summer nearby me, and the weather's been pretty extreme over-the-top in torrential downpours, I figured we might be closer than ever in real life to seeing a Sharknado than ever before. So you gotta be prepared, and since I just love sharks and the third installment of a franchise, I decided it was time for Sharknado 3. The show didn't pan out exactly as I expected, but it's still a fun old time, and we didn't mention a lot about the actual movie plot or anything, but what more do you need to know other than a Sharknado is ripping across the country? We also didn't mention that part where Tara Reid's character April survives giving birth inside a shark while falling from space. But anyway, grab your rain slicker, your galoshes, and a chainsaw, because there's a Sharknado in the forecast. Times a charm. It is the summer of sharks. It is shark summer, and it is also the summer of big storms, sharks, and storms, which can only mean one thing: Sharknado and Sharknado Three. Oh hell no! But hell yes today, because joining me are my two co-hosts. Hey, first let me introduce my unofficial co-host of this show. Please welcome back Brian Rodriguez. Welcome back. Happy to be here, Mike. Happy as always. Glad you could brave the weather to join us tonight. Also joining me, he is my co-host over on our Universal Monster Movie Podcast, The Monsters That Made Us, the invisible Dan Cologne. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me on, Mike. It's a pleasure to be back. I wanted both of you guys on for certain reasons, but first of all, I just gotta know. We'll go one after the other. What do you guys know about Sharknado? And have you seen any of them? How many have you seen? Are you aware there's six? I only thought there were five because I've seen four and a half of them. But Brian, starting with you, what's up with uh, your shark knowledge of Sharknado? I knew they existed. I had seen clips. This is my first Sharknado front to back experience. So I'm a NATO novice. I think this is actually my favorite. Really? You should check out part two. There's a, a lot of it takes place at City Field during a Mets game. I've seen those clips. I've seen those clips probably because of that. That entire movie, if you have any questions, I, I rewatched that and four because I wanted to know what happened before and after three because I had questions. <laughs> but that one takes place 
primarily in New York. Part four takes place primarily in Las Vegas. And Dan Cologne, I wanted you here tonight because this one takes place primarily in Universal Studios. That's right. You had sort of tipped me off that there was like a major connection between this movie and the show we do. And I was like anxious to see what it was. And then when I realized that the whole movie was going to be set at Universal Studios, I thought this this has to be it. Most definitely it. There's so much going on in each Sharknado movie that it's hard to remember what happens in which one at, at what point and stuff. And I didn't remember this was the one that took place at Universal Studios. You know, <laughs> I didn't know they actually shot movies at the theme park, but kind of genius. Yeah, I realized after the fact, because I had questions about location shooting. I'm thinking, did they really shoot in Washington, D.C.? Did they really shoot at Universal Studios? And they did. They shot a lot of this movie where it's all set, which is incredible. It even says they shot some of this in northern New Jersey. So the Sharknado series directed by Anthony Ferranti and written by Thunder Levin. And apparently this series was the cause of somewhat of a sort of shark surgeons or a re-shark surgeons. I don't know quite how to put that word together, compound that exactly. But around this time when it came out, sci-fi was going strong with a lot of Roger Corman type stuff, like big, crazy crocodiles fighting giant boa constrictors from prehistoric times starring Tiffany (laughs) and Debbie Gibson. But this is an Asylum production. And Asylum is pretty notorious on the map for making like their knockoff versions of big Hollywood productions. And they kind of hit gold for like six years in a row with the Sharknado series. And so that's part of the reason we're here. Like the first one kind of takes itself pretty seriously and then became like sort of a phenomenon just by virtue of how ridiculous it was. The second one, they really leaned into it. The third one, I feel like they perfected it. And then they all kind of kept dropping off with diminishing returns after that. I think it devolves into time travel for some reason at some point. I really, I got to see the last one and a half. But another thing about these movies is they are all jam-packed with crazy cameos and, dare I say, D-list and washed-up stars coming out of the woodwork to do their best. Mike, I was actually going to ask you that question. Like, it's very clear as a novice here that they're not taking this movie seriously at all. So they did for the first one. I'm saying it's like for all intent and purpose, when you go back and watch that, it is not laced with jokes, cameos, and, you know, sort of Mad Magazine type humor. It is taken as seriously as most made-for-sci-fi movies were at the time, which was try and take this ridiculous premise and play it as straight as possible. And just, you know, we'll do the best we can can with our effects budget now not to pivot and be point guard here but are the two of you big sci-fi movie fans because it's not really something i've dipped my toe in but i know people go crazy for them so i didn't really get into my history with the sharknado franchise earlier but yeah so i remember when the first sharknado came out and it was like huge at the time i was not really a sci-fi movie guy and i'm still not a sci-fi movie guy sharknado really didn't do much to sway me in their direction but i did watch that first one just to kind of see what the hype was. And it was around that time that I kind of got privy to these movies that are like bad on purpose. And, 
you know, like people seem to love these movies that are bad on purpose. But my experience with them is that I don't enjoy them as much as a movie that is swinging for the fence and just happens to be a bad movie and sort of is unintentionally funny. And I just didn't vibe with the first Sharknado. Now, I agreed to be on this episode because I was I love talking to you guys. And I was like, all right, let's let's see what Sharknado 3 is all about. And like it really did absolutely nothing. I think I might hate sci-fi movies more. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> I'm going to have a great time talking to you guys no matter what. But like this movie was so much worse than I could have possibly <laughs> imagined. Not in a way that I found fun at all. Um, <laughs> I was I was <laughs> I was angry after and we'll get into why. I think I think it might be nice to have somebody on this episode who has a contrary opinion. To answer the question, I've never really been one of those people who goes nuts for the sci-fi movies, and we'll get into why as we talk about this. Interesting. See, I can't say that I love them, right? Like, I like them as kind of white noise or something. Like, to decompress after watching something great, I might watch something like this while I'm contemplating, you know, or something like that, just to have on in the background. But I think what what ended up happening for me is, like, sci-fi, they used to get their hands on actual movies before they started making their own stuff. Then they started making their own stuff, and it was at a point where, like, I kind of couldn't tell the difference, really. And then I started to get a little bit more hip about, like, what qualified as a made-for-sci-fi movie and what was something they just sort of got distribution rights for to air on the network. Now, Dan, you, you raise a good point. There is sort of, like, this phenomenon, and there's, like, this best-of-the-worst thing going on where, like, people have rediscovered these movies and love them because of how earnest they are, but also of how terrible they are. I blame snakes on a plane. Mm. I, I always kind of trace it back to that point where we're going to take this idea that we know is stupid and we're going to like maximize the ridiculousness of this for laughs. And again, those movies are never as much fun to me as the ones like from the 80s. Like I think back to like canon films, you know, like they were just like, we're going to take these ideas that are completely ridiculous and just tell them as earnestly as possible and not make jokes. And I don't, I don't know why that first Sharknado didn't work for me if, if that's what they were attempting. But that first Sharknado, it's been so long since I watched it. I kind of remember them kind of winking at the audience throughout it. Even though they played it straight, it was like, we know this is stupid, but you're with us, right? Whereas, you know, you watch these old movies from the 80s where they're like, no, this is like going to be awesome. And uh, yeah. they can kind of be fun in spite of their efforts. It's a far cry from this and like Jim Cotta, right? Yeah. Like that, you know, you can feel it's a passion project and, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, maybe this, maybe, maybe I, you know, I'm enjoying it because it is good yeah i would rather watch a spectacular failure than see a bunch of professionals intentionally put something dumb up on the screen and i guess what i'm getting at is i feel like that's not where sci-fi films started but that is definitely where they are and they kind of are stuck there and yeah. whereas i don't feel like sharknado one set out to be an outright parody from the beginning uh it absolutely is reveling in the fact that it is one now like it, it couldn't be happier that it has sort of caught on as a cult or as a like as a phenomenon or like a flavor of the month i mean they made one of these a year from 2013 to 2018 they really cashed in while they were hot well they have an audience i, I want to be clear that i don't think that anyone's a bad person if they like these movies <laughs> right like they're not for me and here's why you know that's that's really all i want to say and that's completely fair brian are you you said you're not like a, a sci-fi film no, sci-fi network like i guess if you're not in the united states and listening to third times a charm 
because I know Sci-Fi Network is not everywhere in the world. It's a, a network in the United States. Yeah, it's sort of like Lifetime Network, right? Like I start to think of Sci-Fi Network films in that way, leaning into the cliches just as hard at times, you know, because a lot of those Lifetime films, like we love them, but come on, you know? <laughs> they even rebranded the network at one point because they realized that they were no longer the science fiction channel. They were, they changed the spelling of the name. It's now S-Y-F-Y because that's not science fiction. So now they're free to do whatever they want. So I think it's smart marketing on their part because it's truer to what they are as a brand now than what they used to be. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame anyone for trying, but I much rather prefer discovering something that isn't trying. Uh, if that makes any sense, you know, something that wasn't going for what it ended up being, but found a life sort of with a different audience than it was intended. And these movies are definitely not that they they are targeting a specific audience with a formula. And I just happen to really enjoy this one because it is nonstop mania. Um, and I kind of just hail any movie that can write that way, like write bigger than it's mouth you know like there is a full meal here that it that this movie cannot eat entirely on its own and i think out of all of them like this one kind of holds it together the best but those are my thoughts for the most part on the movie i like it but i'm aware that it's not good I just don't like a lot of the people they found to be in it like as, <laughs> as, as human beings. I was really upset that, like, I don't know how political you want to get, but I hate that, like, Ann Coulter's in this movie and doesn't get eaten by a shark. Mark Cuban is in this movie and doesn't get eaten by a shark. Plays the president of the United States, Ann Coulter, vice president. But that we just, ha I just have to quickly butt in and say, like, you know what this movie's like? It's like best week ever. It's like a show yeah. like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. From what I've read, they were actually sort of looking to the future. Please explain how. I flabbergasted that that was their thought here. So I had done some some reading about the movie after the fact because I was like, I just I had so many questions about this production, <laughs> and I read that their choice for president was going to be Sarah Palin. And when she declined, their next choice was Donald Trump. Aha, okay. He declined because he was getting ready to run for president. And then apparently when they cast Mark Cuban in the role and went ahead with the film, he tried to sue the production. The people they got to put in, that they put in this movie, I just hate so many of them on a personal level. That's part of why I find this so hilarious is because of how stuck in the moment it is. We don't just have Anthony Weiner. Like we have- <laughs> Yeah, what? We have Jared from Subway. Yes. He was in the last movie, too. Jesus. Yeah. Like, we have some pretty terrible cameos going on here. You know, Jerry Springer shows up. Michelle Bachman's in this movie. Yeah, like, why? Why? Like, there's so many whys. Like, not that I hate this guy, but George R. R. Martin randomly right. getting in okay like what is this to the movie like you could do anything i want to be in a sharknado movie like for two seconds and 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 it's kind of like a moment where it's like is that george rr R. martin or, or are they dressing someone up to look like him because he's popular at the moment i don't know uh, the nicest thing you could say about this movie is it's ephemeral right like it's existing in the moment it's a time capsule for what it is but it's like <laughs> It reminds you that when we have like larger nostalgia projects, we paint in broad strokes. But if we were going to get into the nitty gritty of what that year was actually like, usually years kind of suck. And usually the people <laughs> are not that great. And it's like, oh, yeah, 2015. Uh, you know, like 
And there, again, there's also people from the past who are just making cameos here or there. Like, how do you write a script like this where you just like, do you put just blank cameos or do you cast it first and then write everything? You just cast it that way. Like you need David Hasselhoff to be talking to two guys at the diner. Might as well be Penn and Teller. But the only, you know, counter I'll say to that is like most films do not have this many speaking parts, you know. So he had to accommodate. He had to accommodate somehow. I think what happened was people started calling up and agents and phones were ringing off the hook from every, you know, wash up star in town saying, I need to be in a Sharknado. Maybe it'll be the key to like the next thing, you know, like not that this did much for Ian Ziering, but he's the star of all six of them and he's doing all right. Okay. Like, I think he's serviceable. He's a lot better than half the rest of this cast. I mean, if you (laughs) could even call it a cast, he's the only one doing any actual like scene to scene heavy lifting here. Yeah, look, I mean, the main principles, fine, whatever, like they're doing their thing. I am still, again, bothered by, there's a NASCAR tie-in. You know what I mean? (laughs) Any kind of tie-in you could think of is here. And it's just like, it gives me a headache. And I get get why they're doing it. And it's supposed to be funny too, but it's also real, right? It's not like they didn't take Subway's money. They took Subway's money, you know? So like, we're laughing at like a joke that they're also, it's also not a joke because- they used all these cameos to get like if they could get five more people in this movie because Neo was in it. They're like so happy about that. You look at the list. I don't even remember some of these people who when they were in it and stuff. So Mark McGrath is only here because he was in part two. He's in like all of that. He's he's Ian Ziering's brother-in-law in that movie. That's why he's there. I didn't even catch his name. I just thought he was himself. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, why is Mark McGrath hanging out at the White House? And why is he surfboarding on a painting down a flight of stairs? <laughs> with Ann with, Coulter. With Ann Coulter. <laughs> you that sentence you just said. It's just. Like, I know. Like, I, I watched this sober, but if I had been on drugs, I could not have envisioned a, a more insane movie. That's what I was trying to get at as far as my enjoyment factor of it. It's just, it's insanity. Like, it's pure insanity, you know? And it's and it's completely unfilmable, you know? And to the point where it doesn't even feel like half of these people were in the room with the other half of these people during half of these scenes. The whole scenes of Back to the Future were shot that way when Michael J. Fox wasn't there on set. Everybody else had to sort of act to nothing, and then they'd shoot his scenes separately. Yeah, so my point is, it's done all the time. It is one of those things you learn first when you talk about editing. This movie had to do that and obviously couldn't in every sequence. And it's distracting. Eye lines don't match up. Angles don't match up. Sets don't match up. You know what I mean? It's it's clearly like we had one shot of this actor for this amount of time that we just have to shoot it wherever they are in America and we're just going to have to match it. And I guess that's what I'm getting at is like this movie doesn't match. Like none of it matches. <laughs> like they don't have the coverage. It is just crazy like that. Yeah, no, definitely. But And that you're saying enhances your enjoyment of the film? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, the overall lack of any coherence is staggering and that kind of amazes me it takes a lot but look what's going on here it's like they're throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks i'm gonna ask some dumb questions mike are there rules to the shark storms in the first one like these are just tornadoes that have sharks in them right like there's no overthinking this i guess the idea is like in um 
that Paul Thomas Anderson movie, not the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie, this movie references Twister, but Magnolia, where, you know, it rains frogs, right? So like there is sort of a phenomenon where things get swept up into the atmosphere and rain down upon like it rains fish or whatever. So I think that's where the concept originated, if I'm not mistaken, is like, yeah, the sharks got swept up sort of into the atmosphere and into the tornadoes and all that. Okay. Right. But by part three, it's like they're sentient. Like they know where to attack. They know how to attack. That starts in part two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it is yeah, an evolution yeah. to the storms we get now. Part two, storms converge. Uh, if you want to know how Tara Reed lost her arm, it's in the opening sequence of that. They, they're in an airplane and they get attacked by sharks like flying through the air, not even part of a Sharknado yet. Like there's just sharks in the clouds. Oh my God. <laughs> just kind of hanging out there. The same way there are sharks in space at the end of this one. And one of them yells, how are they breathing? I'm happy that Tara Reid is working or was working during this period. I think she's in all of them, right? A high school slumber party alumni here, Tara Reid, obviously from a bunch of stuff with the American Pie series, New Jersey Girl, right? Like when I saw that she was in this way back then, I was like, good for you, Tara Reid. It's just also funny that I'm assuming they cast her seriously in the first one, right? Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, right? So I'm going to assume from not doing any research that Finn, Nova, and... April, are all from the original, correct? Yeah. From what I can understand, Nova took a movie off. She wasn't in the second one, from what I understand. And and their daughter, and I think that's their son. He's got two kids, but I, I think that's <laughs> April. so confusing. I'm not sure if that's April's son, because I know that he used to, he was dating someone else in the second, I don't know, it's very confusing. <laughs> Cassie Skirbo played Nova. I liked this Nova character. She seems badass. She hung out with Frankie Muniz. I love Frankie Muniz in this movie. That's my favorite part. I was gonna say, like, as much as we're happy to see Tara Reid still working, I was really happy to see Frankie Muniz getting a job. You know, like, I miss him. I feel like he should be in, like, the Fastiverse or something like the race car drive in real life right yeah and he's got some kind of like this pit crew kind of look to him too you know <laughs> he does yeah so like there are certain elements here that i seemed like they were derived from an actual story but then 90 percent of this is just cameo after cameo it was hard to keep track of this plays sort of like a sizzle reel for snl for the writer or something right where it's like i've got an idea for a skit and look it'll last all season what's kind of funny is like the original one dwells a lot on sort of the relationship problem like there's sort of this you know uh, i guess ian Ziering and tara reed are going through a divorce and i think ian Ziering seeing the nova character but like then the sharknado hits so they all have to kind of like come together as this weird sort of blended family situation at least it's like trying to concentrate on other things whereas all that stuff is sort of for the most part dropped and like you say brian like it's just joke after joke after joke like how much can we fit in i don't know what episode of what i was talking about this with but it was on your show oh it was a thor ragnarok mike where i said there was sort of this like you know hipsters existed they did their thing right and then there was this like mainstream of that ironic hipster culture that just destroyed things like this to me is an example of that like no self-respecting well no self-respecting hipsters gonna call themselves a hipster but you know what i mean nobody of that ilk is probably going to like sharknado but there were like you guys were saying there were things that would be discovered 
that were similar to that, like from the 80s and like, holy shit, this person's in it. And it's like they took that idea and just ruined it for everyone. And there was almost like a decade of stuff like this. And I'm glad you brought up like Best Week Ever and things like that, where it's just like ironic joke, ironic joke, not going to take something seriously, not going to take something seriously. And it's it's its zenith, the Sharknado franchise. And I don't know, looking in the lens of 2022 of what we've gone through as a nation and a world. I know I'm getting like too high on this point or whatever, but like what we've been through and then to go back to this, it just feels so irrelevant and dead to me. So this came out in, what, 2015? So this is like before the whole 2016 election. I look back at this movie, kind of like what Brian was saying. For me, it's like a snapshot, like to almost a better time, similar to the way we think of like the 90s as pre-9-11. Stuff from the 90s. Was it amazing? Maybe. Do we think it's better than it is because it's like before 9-11, before like the world went to hell? That's the question I'm asking myself as I watch Sharknado three is is this really what america was back then we've been through a lot in the past six years it's hard to know like i'm trying to like even step out of my own mind and step out of this time and trying to be non-partisan for lack of a better word with, with talking about this but this was a time where it was still kind of funny if these things could happen. It was still kind of funny to have Ann Coulter at your roast or in your movie. It was still kind of funny for Donald Trump to host Saturday Night Live, right? But wouldn't it be hilarious this or that? Like, oh, that would be crazy. That'll never happen. And then it happened. So this is just the zenith of a time where we didn't think the worst things could happen. Right. <laughs> We're probably alienating those, you know, uber right-wing listeners you have, Mike, but... Wait, what are these listeners <laughs> you speak of? And uh, how do I get them? Because that's why you guys have been on so often. I'm trying to mooch listeners off of the other oh, feeds. Your own show? <laughs> One of them, but you know. <laughs> Again, like I am really, really trying to be above it all, if, if you will, right? Like I'm, but yeah, yeah. It's hard yeah. to, when you like live in 2022, think of people in Congress today being in a movie like this. On either side, right? Like, we don't do those things anymore. Well, so when was the last Sharknado release? 2018? All right, so halfway through the Trump administration, they're still making Sharknado movies. I kind of want to watch like five and six to see how they reflect American culture. I'm not going to unless you start doing six times a charm, I, probably. But <laughs> um, but there's a part of me that's curious to know how this particular franchise has evolved with popular culture and what was going on in the world because things got much darker after 2016. But maybe, but I'm, I, I start to suspect watching this movie that maybe the Sharknado franchise is not for people who lean the way we do necessarily. Um, yeah. I've seen similar criticisms. Like this is cons- a conservative movie. There's a <laughs> lot of people in this movie who lean conservative in their personal life outside of Sharknado. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the fan base for these movies leaned conservative also. Yeah, that, that actually wouldn't shock me either. Now, look, if I were conservative, I would say, oh, they're too much of cowards to make a movie like this today. But it's kind of true in a sense like i still think most publicly traded companies and networks are not going to chance it one way or another when it comes to these kind of figures right like i feel like if you put mitch mcconnell even though he's around then but mitch mcconnell in a movie today somebody is (laughs) make a fuss and understandably but even if you did support that like that's that's rare that you're making these movies on network tv again that have politicians they play it smart because there's nothing partisan about the movie. They just populated it with a bunch of people who lean a specific way. And so and so you really can't say, okay, well, this movie is has a political bias because it doesn't. It's just 
whoever made it has a political bias, probably. Part of it is that those people are picked because they're publicly on one side seen publicly as a joke in the first place. Okay, you know? sure. so so it's almost like an instant punchline to be like, hi, Ann Coulter, like you dumb asshole. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but that's where I feel we were. And like, I think the true intention was something more along the lines of like, oh, uh, Anthony Weiner, like he's... <laughs> He's like a big joke in the media. So like, look at him, look like, look at him as a big joke on screen or Jerry Springer or something like it's almost like a shorthand or something like that. But I could not see like Ted Cruz. I do not want to see him strolling through a Sharknado seven or eight, but uh, just Dan real quick about like the Trump years yeah. of Sharknado, just going by the, the titles, uh, Sharknado five global swarming. So even in 2017, they were howling about, you know, uh, global warming and climate change and all that. Uh, and then Sharknado 6 is it's about time and it's about time travel. So maybe part of that is like if we could just go back and not have like fix it so Trump didn't run for president. <laughs> uh, and then the most telling, no more Sharknado movies. OK, yeah, well, so like for the rest of the Trump presidency is like it's not funny. Like it's there's no fun. Right. So like no more Sharknado. That's just how I sort of see it. I also think there's an element too of not giving politicians a platform one way or the other. Once a quote unquote celebrity became president, became like a giant politician, that changed the so, course yeah, of a lot I mean, of things. SNL yeah. leans heavily left. We all know that. And that's not a criticism, I'm just saying. Um, and they had Trump as a candidate host Saturday Night Live, right? Like uh, it was during the primaries, but still. I think there was a lot of media literacy assumed by Hollywood that like, oh, people will get it's kind of a joke, right? People will get that if we bring Sarah Palin here uh, next to Tina Fey, that it's kind of a joke. But you're also, again, you're creating a stage for these people. And there are people who are going to watch something and say, oh, this is pretty cool. I like this person. It's like when Stephen Colbert was Stephen Colbert. Some of his biggest fans were conservative people, despite the fact that he was mocking them, because it was also giving that a platform. And I'm not, I'm not blaming Colbert for where we are right now. That's not what I'm saying. But there is an element to it in a sense. So I just don't think, again, that anyone is going to take a chance with accidentally elevating you know, a host of a reality show to become president again. Then again, Dr. Oz is might be a senator so who the f knows the rock dwayne johnson's been talking about it his whole fucking life right like if you've seen his sitcom it's him telling stories about his childhood as president yeah that's very interesting and speaking of the rock though we got a wrestling cameo by chris jericho in this film one of my favorite parts if you guys want to talk about i don't know dan if you have a favorite part the part that annoyed you the least i've got three believe it or not um <laughs> one's a cameo one is just lou ferrigno yeah lou ferrigno that was on my list. We've been talking about him a lot. One is the Chris Jericho part where a shark gets on the roller coaster <laughs> and is sort of like going back and forth on the loop-de-loop -loop thing. And then my other favorite part is very similar where a shark goes on a water slide, which just is an adorable visual. I just thought it was hilarious. Real quick, Chris Jericho is not the only wrestling connection in this movie. I didn't catch this person in my watch through, but according to the credits, Maurice Mazanin is in this movie also as one of the park police guards. Yeah, I saw that in the credits soon. I'm like, I don't recall that, but whatever. Did you recall Lorenzo Lamas? No. No? Oh, okay. Well, he's at the Air Force Base when they do their Top Gun moment and they take that fighter jet. And apparently he's playing Sergeant Rock, which was like a very famous comic book character. 
back in the day. So I wonder if that was a reference to that. I feel like he was in a bunch of these made for sci-fi movies. Did you enjoy the NASCAR tie-in? What I liked about the NASCAR tie-in is that one of the NASCAR guys got to say the tagline, oh, hell no. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering who was going to say that because I knew it was going to be in the movie somewhere. And I was kind of surprised, maybe a little disappointed that it wasn't somebody more prominently featured in the movie. It was just, it, it almost felt like they threw it away by giving it to him. Yeah, almost like it was some kind of afterthought, right? Where they were combing through the film looking for some kind of one liner that they could put on the poster. Yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah. I also did like the part with Frankie Munez. Uh, I think he has the best death in this. He's going to trigger some type of bomb to help Ian Ziering get away. And a shark like takes out one of his legs. Then a shark bites off one of his arms. Then a shark bites off another leg. And then the other arm until he's just a torso with a head. And he's like inching toward the button and he hits it with his face. Yeah, I think if I, if I have a favorite part of this movie, that's probably... Probably it, because I mean the the incentive for me, if I if someone was a hey, you want to be in in the next Sharknado movie, I'd say yeah, but I want a really cool death. That's the appeal of all these cameos is you want to see a bunch of people you're familiar with get eaten by sharks in fun, creative ways. And I thought Frankie Muniz's death was by far the best death in the whole movie. That and the fact that the whole thing was shot at Universal Studios. You know, I love watching locations that I really love get destroyed in movies. I'm so tired of seeing like New York City destroyed over and over in L.A. So seeing Universal Studios Florida get ripped apart was really cool. I felt the same way about Fenway Park when I saw Godzilla King of the Monsters. I thought finally Boston has its chance. So yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, there's a Godzilla film and I forgot, like I saw it as a kid. I think it was like an 80s Godzilla film that destroyed like a Japanese city that wasn't Tokyo. And I got really excited about that fact. So, (laughs) oh, this is cool. Godzilla knows other cities in Japan. (laughs) I think it's in, is it Destroy All Monsters maybe when they all get loose across the planet. Well, it's the first time Godzilla is seen destroying New York and he, he takes out the United Nations. Not the last time. Uh, now we're talking Godzilla films. Never mind. <laughs> There's like a modern one where it actually has that Roland Emmerich Godzilla, but he's like destroying. Oh, oh, uh, Final Wars. Yeah, he's, Godzilla he, Final Wars. Yes, okay. Yeah, he's destroying uh, the Sydney Opera House for whatever reason. That's pretty funny that, that Godzilla, that version of Godzilla uh, now haunts like Australia. And- Godzilla pod. You've talked about it. Yeah, but, you know, what do you do? Do it forever? I guess, you you know, it takes a while. There's like 40 movies or so. 40 movies, an animated series or two. There's a couple. Yeah, there's a couple animated series. There's a few animated movies. There's a lot of just extra stuff, you know, like he's appeared elsewhere. Played basketball against Charles Barkley. <laughs> Uh, and all the Godzilla comics, tons of them. Back, even Marvel had the license. He fought the Avengers in one of his issues. I don't, this is a side note, and you can cut this out, but everything's staying in because this episode's so short. Do you guys follow that Twitter where it's just like the host introducing the musical guest on Saturday Night Live? It's like one of my favorite Twitters to follow. Cause yes, yes. I see it every Friday where it's Daniel Craig saying, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs> but I wasn't aware that there's a, an entire account. That oh, just it's does great because it. it's sometimes it's so mishmashed of like who is hosting whoever, you know what I mean? Like George Carlin being like, and now Menudo. Yeah, yeah. So something along those lines, you know. So I just pictured Godzilla introducing the Backstreet Boys or something. Hey, I could see it. <laughs> Anything that you'd ever want to say ever again about anything involving the Sharknado franchise, now's probably your time to say it because I doubt you even thought you'd be talking about it this much in your life. Michael Winslow's in the film and he needs more Michael Winslow-ness. 
That's a good point because that's a sign that you don't know what you're doing when you have Michael Winslow in your movie and he's not making crazy noises. He's not doing something like, first the wind started to blow. And then the shark started to come. Chomp, 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 chomp. And then they combine. Chomp, chomp. And then the other note I had is just the, the Hasselhoff of this, right? Like, I don't fault David Hasselhoff for what I'm about to say, but if there is a mascot for the type of culture I'm talking about that this film exemplifies, it was David Hasselhoff at the time. Like, you threw David Hasselhoff in anything and, and everyone was expected to laugh. Like, oh, it's yeah. David Hasselhoff, right? Like, so I'm not surprised he's in this. Is he in other Sharknados? Yeah, he's definitely in the next one. They rescue him from the moon uh, early on. Yeah, probably riding high around this time because wasn't he also in Guardians 2 this year or next year or something? You know, like he was even used there sort of in the same exact way he's used here. Yeah, which again, I loved it when I saw it then. I probably would love it now if I rewatched the film, right? So it's not like me necessarily dissing it, but Hasselhoff was getting probably a lot of little paychecks in a lot of places at the time because he would show up and you know spongebob and things like that right like and people would just like oh my god david hasselhoff for like a good six-year period they get to the moon in this one too you know that's sort of become a cliche as well in a lot of these i don't know if you want to call this like a horror movie series but it's definitely like a horror comedy thing i don't know how to classify it exactly horror parody but it was always it's always fun when a franchise goes to space you know like that is just a thing that no offense to our beloved Fast and Furious bros or anything, but like, you know, everyone's like, they're going to go to space. They're going to go to space. And like, sure enough, they went to space in the last movie. You hear Sharknado joining the ranks of Leprechaun and fucking Hellraiser and like Jason X. It's funny that you mentioned the Fast and Furious franchise because like it's, I think, taken somewhat seriously, right? But that's a franchise that has brought so many people back from the dead. And again, like you said, it's gone to space and really defied gravity and logic at every turn. I guess it just has a bigger budget and it's made better than Sharknado and stuff like that, right? Like, again, I'm, I don't want to diss the film series. I'm not doing that. I know how powerful it is on this network. But it's funny that you can kind of make similar choices. And they do, not to this level, but they do that cameo shit sometimes too, right? Yeah, but my impression of the Fast and Furious franchise feels very much to me that they didn't really think about the next movie while they were working on the current movie. Uh, and so that they had to make these decisions that are ridiculous in hindsight but they didn't have the foresight to plan for it all. You know what I mean? Because if they did, they probably would have done it a different way. And that's what I mean about a movie that goes out of its way to be ridiculous and bad as opposed to uh, a movie that does it by accident. And I think Fast and Furious does a lot of that stuff unintentionally because they, they're like, okay, well, what's the next story we want to tell? Oh, well, we need that character back to tell that story. Okay, we'll figure out a way to get him back. So it becomes a, a different writing process. That sort of falls into the category of quote unquote bad movie that I like. I really like the Fast and Furious movies and I don't want to call them bad movies. I realize they have a lot of fans. Again, like you said, the network is sort of propped up by many of them. But I think that those decisions on their face are very ridiculous. But when you watch the movies in order, it doesn't, at least to me, does not seem like they knew they were going to need Letty back at a certain point, you know, so they let her go. And then they're like, fuck, we need Letty back. So here's how we're going to figure out a way to make her work, make this work. Whereas this movie is just, it's like they, they had a dry erase board of like how many shark jokes, how many kills they could have all these different ideas and then they're like okay how do we cram all this into one movie yeah i definitely think you're right about that that makes total sense it's like they wrote a movie by committee that's an interesting point then it's like you know i never really thought about it like that but watching the fast and furious movies it's like watching people untie knots yes sometimes, mm. you know but but it's but like that's 
super interesting from a like writing perspective and and like that's why i feel like it works like ridiculous things work and that movie's referred to much more of as a soap opera right like that that might seem demeaning but like it's it's actually it, it elevates that material if you will you know it, it elevates it from just being a schlocky action thing to actually trying to do something actually trying to tell a proper story and like you said and they're like shit we need han back fuck it hell or high water he's coming back one way or the other and you know we have faith in our audience at this point that they will uh, come along for the rest of the ride. My final note is actually one for Dan, just because, Dan, I know you're such a big fan of this other franchise, and we've talked about it together on this show before, yep. but first shot of this movie, James Bond yep. intro. Yep. <laughs> so when I watch stuff, I try to like tweet out what I'm watching, and I usually try to find like the shot of like the title of the movie. Uh, and I got that from you, Mike, so um, all, all credit to you for that. When I was looking for the Sharknado 3 title screen, I saw the gif of What's-His-Face coming out like in a silhouette with the chainsaw. I was like, they did do that, didn't they? And, you know, I got to say, it takes it takes some balls to compare yourself to the James Bond franchise. And I did think that made for a fun, like sort of tongue-in-cheek opening title. I don't really understand why that was what they decided to do for this movie. Same thing with Friday the 13th. It really doesn't make any sense for either movie why they would go with a James Bond parody for the opening. But whatever. It's something people will recognize as a, as a reference to James Bond. So yeah, I mean, it was funny, I guess. I liked Frank Muniz's death and I loved this setting, the location of this, of this movie. And I was going to say like, I don't love this, but I got to give them credit for putting something in here that I never could have predicted in my wildest dreams. It was almost as though they had written it with a Mad Lib when Nova showed up with a shotgun that shot 75 caliber mascara. I don't know where that idea came from. Again, it feels like they just threw some words into a bag and pulled them out and like, okay, it's going to be a shotgun. What's it going to shoot? Mascara, got it. And that's how they wrote the movie. God, it must be so fun when like you make Sharknado and sci-fi is like, holy shit, this is the biggest opening for a movie we've had. Here's the checkbook within limits. Whatever the hell you want to do, how many more you want to do, we'll do it because the standard here for films is not that high. So you have to wonder, because like you guys are the two that I need to, t- to say this to, like you have to wonder how somebody like Francis Coppola feels about somebody being given all this money to do mascara shotguns and <laughs> sharknados. And it's so funny you say that actually, because I think I texted Brian the other day. I was like, do you think Uncle Francis has sat through the Star Wars prequels? Like, do you think he's that good of a friend? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, it's a great question. I still don't know the answer. Even if you're not someone who shits on the prequels, right? Like that's not really Francis Ford Coppola's alley at all. That's my point. They're both like these giant operatic special effects driven things. right? And you could just see George in the room as like, oh, you know, I really took from your godfather. (laughs) I think they're more like, you know, oh, that's George's thing. You know, he's into that. I think they were all shocked when Star Wars was a sensation. Like, I think, like, again, he was their kind of weirdo sci-fi friend. And, you know, he had been talking about this and they were just like, okay, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, all right. Oh, sure. I mean, especially after the release of THX 1138, you know, like nobody could have predicted that the next thing he did was going to be huge. Yeah. Even after American Graffiti, I think they were like, all right, he can make good movies. Like he's competent. Like he could, you know, he's, he can direct a bunch of kids. That's not easy. This whole movie's moving cars. Like that's not easy to choreograph. Like, all right, he's got some skills, but then like he throws down Star Wars next. You know, one of them was like, you sure you want to do that space opera next? 
I just think of him, it's probably because I'm talking to you guys, but like I was thinking of him fighting for every single dollar he could get to make everything he's ever tried to make. And and then here's sci-fi, like, yeah, six Sharknado movies. <laughs> yeah, right? How many disgraced public figures do you need and how much is it going to cost? It's insane. And I guess that'll wrap that up. Uh, unless anybody's really got anything else for real this time. This is the last time i'm ever bringing up sharknado on the network but not sharks hopefully there's another part three shark movie out there i covered jaws 3 way early with like tobin and kara i think brian and i covered jaws 2 on my other show second time around maybe we end it with sharknado i don't know but i don't know if there's a is there a deep blue sea part three and do we want to go that far i'm learning (laughs) over on brian's network as superintendent sometimes we just go too far (laughs) but brian why don't you tell them what we're up to over there on uh high school slumber party with this Corey retrospective we're in the middle of. We've talked a bunch of Corey films. We'll continue to talk a bunch of Corey films, unfortunately, because there's a lot more Corey films. But this summer, the finale of the year. Also, summer school this summer, Mike. Working hard with you. Thank you for granting me that chance on trying to extend our senior year a bit and see what's going to happen past this summer. Um, got some stuff on the list and excited all that. You know, just had the 300th episode of Heisman's Lumber Party as well. But also, Mike, you and I have started a new show, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. We've just talked the offer so far. We're plowing through that uh, but we'll talk the godfather soon enough and that's obviously an epic film and follow me on twitter at oh my rodriguez o-h-m-y rodriguez dan cologne how about yourself yeah we're doing the monsters that made us also on the cage club podcast network our latest episode was house of frankenstein that'll be july 29th that friday so look for that and then the next movie we've got is another mummy movie i believe i'm really looking forward to talking with you about that i think that's about all i can say i know i've got some things some irons in the fire but i think it's a little bit early to mention them on air so keep an eye out for um uh, another show by me later this year uh it'll be on my Twitter feed at Dan Cologne. Um, it'll also be uh, the Cage Club feed as well, assuming it all happens. Otherwise, yeah, just the monsters that made us is my is my main hustle right now. Excellent, excellent. Yes, please check out. That's right, Brian. I introduced you as my unofficial co-host of this show, but we are official co-hosts yeah. over on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar there, and that is so much fun. I can't wait to start getting into the films. And Dan, it's always a blast over on the monsters that made us when we're talking the old Universal horror stuff. Love that can't wait to continue to that so everyone please check all that stuff out and stay cool out there during this hot summer of sharks and storms and we'll talk to you next time That's going to do it for another episode of Third Time's a Charm. Must thank Dan and Brian for braving the weather and coming by today, and please check out the shows I co-host with them, The Monsters That Made Us, the last Friday of every month with Dan Cologne, and Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar with Brian Rodriguez, which is new at the time of this recording, and there's a few episodes out about that show, The Offer, that is about the making of The Godfather with Francis Ford Coppola, but episodes of that show just are going to sort of come out when they do. Also new episodes of Keanu Club, The League of the Super Pets, where he voices Batman. I review that with Joey Lewandowski, as well as a new episode of Viva Pod Vegas, our Elvis movie review podcast. And the latest episode there is Follow That Dream, E's Funniest Movie? 
As always, find these and all of the shows on the network at cageclub.me, cageclub pod on Twitter and Instagram, or iTunes, where you can write a nice review, or anywhere else that you can get podcasts online. Literally, like everywhere you could get a podcast, you probably find this show. And if you aren't online, I can burn you some episodes on a disc and mail them to you, Pony Express style. Until next time. That's the magic number. Three. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three. They stubbing me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?